Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his holy name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that uh, we can come into your gates and give you thanks and praise. And we're thankful, Lord, that we can come before you in your very presence and praise your holy name because you are good and your love endures forever. Your faithfulness, Lord, continues through all generations. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Steve. Pastor Steve Day, uh, throughout the last several months and his entire care ministry team have been working so hard. I often hear about someone who's sick or someone in need and I'll take it to Steve and he's already on top of it. And I don't know if any of our pastors have worked as hard as Pastor Steve has over these last several months in caring for people and it comes from his heart. He's a true example of what it means to love people more. This weekend, we have some folks who are going to be baptized. They'll all be in the 11 o'clock service uh, this weekend. And I want to share with you the faces and the names of those who've accepted Christ as Savior and now publicly want others to know they're a follower of Jesus. We've got Sandra Lazo, Sandy Marin, Eliana Chow, Christina Smith. Matthew Holm. And so if you know these folks, you can encourage them and be praying for them as uh, they make this public and they move forward in their walk with Jesus. We celebrate uh, the fact that they are willing to make sure others know they're a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, if you go way back to March when uh, Governor Newsom uh, put the state into a lockdown, I think around the 18th or 19th, a couple days later, the weekend of the 21st and 22nd, we weren't really sure what this COVID thing was. We weren't really sure how the restrictions at that time applied to churches and all. And so we tried to figure this out. And uh, the best thing we knew to do for that weekend was to uh, just simplify everything we possibly could. And so we broadcast our services that weekend from my living room. And I had a number of folks say to me later, but I was so glad that you went back to doing them in the worship center with the worship team. That was just a hope. I'm glad you learned your lesson. Well, that wasn't the long-term plan. That was just a short-term solution. But uh, it gave us an opportunity to slow down, make sure we understood everything, and to be able to gear up and do things uh, correctly, safely, and making sure that everybody who was participating uh, would be in a safe and healthy environment. But that weekend, we did know that uh, there already were some things that were happening on the landscape of our culture, of our economy, because of COVID-19. And so we talked that weekend about uh, Calvary's finances, and we mentioned that uh, our staff had taken a pay cut, and that lasted uh, for a little while there. We were able to uh, keep that shorter than we expected. We thought that our offerings might drop 40% over the next 12 weeks. We shared that with you. We talked to you about the challenges we faced. We worked hard to cut down our costs, but we stayed committed to the ministries that we could flex and make happen online and where possible throughout this period in person. And we want to make sure we kept our local outreach going and our global partnerships fully funded. And so we asked you at that time, we told you about the need, we told you about what was expected on the horizon. And uh, 
thank God you stepped up as we shared that with you. And uh, with your uh, support and generosity of Calvary Community Church and our general fund offering, along with some funds that we received from the uh, Paycheck Protection Program, we were able to put our staff back at uh, their normal pay and we were able to keep all of our staff through the spring and through the summer. But as we moved toward the end of August, we knew that our budget year was concluding August 31st. Our new budget would begin September 1st. We were also concluding our Calvary 2020 vision. And so as we saw that date approaching, we knew there was a bit of a gap. And in the past, we've shared with you the specifics on that gap. But we sensed it just wasn't the right time because we were hearing from a number of families about the financial challenges they were facing. A number of folks sharing that they had reduction in their salaries and some had lost their jobs and had been regularly giving to the ministry here at Calvary. And so we said, let's pray. And we asked you to pray without giving you specific numbers or talking to you about the need. And boy, did God use you again because we were able to meet our budget and uh, we were we were just over, in terms of our income and our expenses, just over uh, by like 0. .000. It's, it's amazing. It was just a small fraction. But God did what God does, and that is he provided for all of our needs. We were able to give away 20% of everything that came in. We were able, in that budget year we concluded, right there in the middle of COVID-19, we were able to give away more to local outreach and global missions than Calvary ever has in uh, getting the good news out, even in sharing around the world in places where literally food chains were cut off so much, people were starving and we were able to work with our partners to get food for them. And uh, we're just so thankful for the way God works when we uh, share with you the need, ask you to pray. Well, as we come to our Christmas offering this year, we've adapted our budget, we lowered our expectations, we adjusted where our staff was and some uh, took decreases in salaries, some were moved to other areas. We've adjusted a lot in terms of the new budget that started September 1st because we knew families were being challenged and they've continued to be challenged in this economy. And so as we entered into that uh, new budget September 1st, we made a lot of adjustments. And we even adjusted down our expectations for December in terms of offering compared to last year. We adjusted our budget down. We adjusted um, 40 members of our staff in terms of uh, their status with us in one way or another. Uh, several on the senior leadership team uh, voluntarily took pay cuts for this budget year. And so we've tried to be good stewards, and, and yet we've watched as God has provided each time that we've asked you to pray. And so I'm going to ask you, as we go into this Thanksgiving week, and we move into our end of the year December Christmas offering, to be praying what God would have you give, and pray that God would bless his church family so that we can meet those goals. And this week, a letter will be going out for me, and it explains a lot of the details behind what I just said. It explains to you what the Christmas offering needs are. And it shares some incredible stories of God's grace in the lives of others through the ministry of the people who are Calvary Community Church. And so that letter will go out. Some of you might even receive it the day after Thanksgiving. I would urge you to read that letter. Uh, we'll post it online so if you don't get one, you can get a hold of that. And we'll communicate what those needs are. And we'll encourage you to be praying. And we're trusting God to again provide as we uh, know that he always does. And we rely upon him even as we adjust and try to be good stewards of what God gives us in terms of resources. There are great opportunities at this time for us to share the hope and love of Jesus with others. And we've been in a series now, this is actually the second week of this series called Recenter, where we're gonna get back to what God wants to focus our lives on. There are a lot of distractions happening in our world. We wanna make sure we know where we are 
in terms of the, the journey of our lives and what God has for us next. We talked about last week how we need to uh, love God more. And today we'll be talking about uh, loving the people in our lives more. Next week we'll be talking about loving more people, going beyond those we already know and sharing the love of Christ with others. Love is an incredible, incredible gift from God. Sometimes that love is, is shared with the Lord, as we said, sometimes within the church family. Sometimes we have a love even for coworkers. But there's also that love that comes in a marriage relationship. And I came across a story that maybe you've seen. It was a video that was released from Birmingham, England. Two individuals, uh, Kenny, Kenneth and Betty Meredith from Birmingham, England. They're 96, he's 96, and Betty is 91. They've been married 71 plus years. And about five or six weeks ago, he had to go into a uh, assisted living home. And uh, they were separated for longer than a week for the first time in their marriage. And uh, they've been married 71 plus years. Well, Betty was frustrated because of the rules. She couldn't get in to see him. So she did all that she could and she figured out that she needed to move in to the assisted living herself because of her age and some of her needs and she needed to be with Kenneth. He couldn't understand why she wasn't coming to see him when they talked on the phone. He has the early stages of dementia. And here was their reunion as it was planned with a little bit of a Valentine's Day kind of touch to it by the staff there in that assisted living home. Watch as Kenneth figures out that his wife, Betty, has come to live there in the home with him. Isn't that so very sweet? You know, love is an incredible gift from God. First Corinthians chapter 13, there is this incredible description of love. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, you can go there, of course, on a mobile device, your iPhone, Android, maybe an iPad. Uh, we'll be in 1 Corinthians 13. We'll also be over in John 13 in a few moments, but we'll begin there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This great passage on what love really is as God designed it to be. We've talked in this recentering series already on that we need to be loving God more every day. That would be our passion to know him and to love him more. And then today we're going to talk about loving people more. The people around us, the people in the family of God, the people in our everyday lives. We need to love them more. I like how Kyle Adamon puts this. We love others best when we love God most. We love others best when we love God most. So we, we talked last week about loving God more. This week we'll talk about loving people more. And the next week we'll talk about the third of our passions here at Calvary. And we talk about living and loving like Jesus. We say that happens when we love God more, we love people more. And then thirdly, we love more people. We go beyond our comfort zones. We, we go to people we don't even know. We reach out around the globe. We reach out across the street. We, we reach out to people that we may not know. And we share with them the love of Christ through our own lives. Today as we talk about loving people more... I want us to understand this, that we should constantly seek to love others more every day because of the great love 
God has shown us in Jesus Christ. We have no excuses. Our God has shown us a pure, selfless, others-oriented, sacrificial love. And that's what he calls for us to share with those in our lives already, the people we already know. We're to love those people more every day. Not to just come to some place where we're content or we're apathetic in the love that we show them, but we're to be proactive in seeking to engage and actively love others every day. We're going to see this in two different passages of Scripture, and each passage gives us the two main points we want to talk about today. The first one is found in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13, the passage I had you turn to. And that is this, if we're going to love people more, we have to love the people in your life more. You have to love the people in your life more. Well, what does that look like? Well, the first thing we'll notice in verses 1 through 3, this involves that, that loving others is the greatest form of spirituality. Loving others is the greatest form of spirituality. Some people uh, think it's the great demonstration of, of some sort of spiritual gift or it's the ability to communicate the good news to all human beings and even to speak to the angels with their own language. It's this ability to speak to the future or it's this ability to have such great faith that we can move mountains. But look what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth. Now this church at Corinth had a lot of troubles. And in 1 Corinthians, his first letter to this church, the apostle is correcting them. And he's constantly having to deal with their selfishness, their lack of love for each other, their, their backbiting, the tension, the disunity. And so 1 Corinthians 13 is situated in such a place that he's been talking about their divisions and their strife and their selfishness, and now he's going to talk about what love really looks like, and then he's going to apply that as he finishes out the next couple of chapters of this book, as he expresses what this love will do to them as the followers of Jesus. In verses 1 through 3, we read this about how love is the greatest form of spirituality. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. I'm just making noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Verse three, if I give all I possess, I'm so generous and sacrificial that I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You see, the point here is, at the core of the Christian life is to be this love that we constantly demonstrate to others. And some people try to show great spirituality in a lot of different ways and in a lot of different aspects of the behaviors of the Christian life. And Paul is saying to them, look, you can have all these other things, but if you don't have love, you're missing the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Some people will say, well, well, I, I demonstrate how much I, I you know, know God and I love God by this or that. Well, love and our love for others is the greatest form of spirituality. Elizabeth George, the author, said it this way. It is easy to talk about how much you love God. You can brag about it and talk about it. But loving others reveals how much you truly do love God. How you love others is a reflection of your actual love for God. Pastor Steve mentioned our Bible reading plans that we've made available at calvarywestlake.org slash Bible because we talked about last week for us to know who God is as he is revealed in Scripture and to understand how he loves and what his values are. We have to be in his word. 
And I would encourage you to, to go into one of those Bible reading plans and kind of as they're listed on the page and as they're listed here on the screen, it, it's about uh, the, the, the level of maybe spiritual maturity or understanding or your depth of getting into the Bible. The 30-day plan is kind of a beginner's point. We have never been in the Bible before. When you get down to this daily scripture and prayer, uh, uh, um, a scripted confession and prayer and scripture reading plan, uh, that, that is for someone who's a little more familiar with the scriptures. But this is a great way to understand that God priority puts a priority on love. Loving others is the greatest form of spirituality. If you want to love the people in your life more, you have to understand that. Secondly, loving the people in your life more, this is about love, loving others is the greatest form of selflessness. Loving others is the greatest form of selflessness. Look at verses four and five of this passage. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Now talk about a very clear description of love. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. You see this description of love that's laid out here for us? This is a selflessness. This is an others-oriented. It's not a, a me, 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 me. It's about other people. John 15, 12 to 13, Jesus in the upper room before, the, before he's crucified, the night before, said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. We'll see that in John 13 in just a moment. Greater love has no one than this. Here's the greatest love, to lay down one's life for one's friends. A sacrificial love is the greatest kind of love. This is a selfless love. And if you're gonna love your wife and your children, your coworkers, your friends, the, the, the people in your life every day that are just a part of your daily living as a follower of Christ, you're to love those people more. And to do that, you have to understand it is the highest form of spirituality to love others more every day. It is an act of selflessness and others-oriented love to love them more every day. Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves. Again, an emphasis here on a selfless love. Thirdly, loving others is the greatest form of faithfulness. Loving others is the greatest form of faithfulness. When you're going to love the people in your life more, you're going to understand that loving others has a faithfulness component to it. We talk about faithfulness in the marriage relationship and love. But there is a faithfulness, an unconditional love that we show to our children. There's a love that is needed to show to our friends and our coworkers. And by the way, let me take this out of just the in-person kind of experience, but in how you text them, what you email them, what you post online, the comments you make on what others post. All of that is to be a kind of love that is a spiritual ministry to others that reflects God. Every time you post online, every comment you make is a reflection of your God to the people in your life. And we need to be faithful in loving people as God is faithful in loving us. Look at verses 6 and 7 of 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. I love this part of it. It always protects. Are you protecting the people in your life? It always trusts. Are you trusting them, starting with that position? Always hopes. Are you believing the best for them and hoping the best? Always perseveres. It endures. In the first part of verse 8 even is going to say, love never fails. It's faithful. 
Loving others is the greatest form of spirituality, the greatest form of selflessness, the greatest form of faithfulness. And fourthly and finally, when we talk about loving the people in our lives more every day, loving others is the greatest form of investment. You're investing when you love your spouse, when you love your children, when you love your relatives, when you love your friends, your coworkers. You're investing in something. Love makes an investment that doesn't just last that day or a week. It, it, it pours into someone else's life the value God has for them. And that value impacts them in their thinking, in their heart, in their outlook. Verses 8 through 13 stress this. Love never fails. It, it never comes to an end. It's eternal. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. He goes back to the things at the beginning that he talked about. The things that we often tout as great spirituality. He says, those things will end. Where there are tongues, they will be, dis they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, and this speaks of when Jesus returns and initiates the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth forever in his kingdom, uh, it says, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the, the childhood behind me. I left it behind. What he's saying here is, this is a season in which we understand there are things that are temporarily here, but they've got their place, and eventually, in light of all eternity, much of the things that we tout as great spirituality will be footnotes in Christian history, in the history of God's people, as we're in the new heavens and the new earth. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. We just get a glimpse of what God really has for us. Then we shall see face to face when we see Jesus. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. All these qualities are important. We need faith to even know Christ. We need hope to be able to press forward and endure but he says the greatest of these is love because it makes an eternal investment in others that lasts way beyond the other things that will fade away and come to an end. Love will still be a great part of God's plan for all eternity. Now, How about you? Have you been grumpy lately? <laughs> Have you been on edge? Have you had kind of an attitude? Have you been in a mood? Maybe it's been months. Maybe you're just tired of the news. Maybe you're tired of the tension in our country. Maybe you're part of creating that tension and that's putting you in a bad mood. Maybe you're not happy with how the election turned out for whatever reason, this way or that. You think that many people voted that way and this many people should have voted that way and you've got tension. What, what probably is going to happen here in Thanksgiving week, whether you're together with folks according to what we're, we're told we should be doing at Thanksgiving or not, or you're, you're connecting with them by phone or texting. Or maybe you're going to have FaceTime opportunities with family and friends at a distance who weren't able to travel with you. Whatever your Thanksgiving table is going to look like in person or online. I know that American families and Christian families living in America need love this Thanksgiving. Not just on Thursday, but we need, to, we need to make this a week where we're expressing our gratitude to God and the gratitude we show others comes out in more love for them. Take 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Just read that section of it, verses 4 through 8. 
Even just take that love never fails at the first part of eight and stop there. But you just read through love protects, love always hopes. You read through those descriptions. It, it, it never keeps a record of wrongdoing. You look at those descriptions. Read those and then look at what you're posting this week. Look at how you're emailing others. Look how you're communicating. Think about the words you use, the attitude you have with your spouse, your children, your neighbors, your friends, the people you naturally have as a part of your life, whether it's in person or online, maybe even in Zoom. Maybe you've gotten frustrated with that and you're just getting cantankerous. I know I've found myself in the last several weeks just being a little bit more on edge. I think because we're only Zooming into meetings, we don't get the natural interaction in our office spaces and there are a lot of gaps in between what we know and there's frustrations that happen between people. This is a week in which we need to double down on loving people more, just as God loves us. Take 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Read it every day this week, just those few verses, just 4 through 8, and ask yourself, all right, Lord, am I loving the people in my life this way? Let God speak to you and use that passage in your life. Secondly, love the people of God more. We need to love the people in our lives more, but then you need to love the people of God more. The brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of the church family. And I think through this year and the, the division, divisions people have had over masks or not masks or outdoor worship or not outdoor worship, challenging the government or not challenging the government, the election, the, the racial tensions, the, the economy pressures, all that's gone on. In the church, we need to get back to doing what Jesus told his disciples to do the night before he was crucified. Go to John chapter 13, verses 33 to 35. We're going to look at these three verses. And we're going to look at what it means to love the people of God, the children of God, the family of God more. Maybe it's the people in your small group. Maybe it's somebody in your small group from years ago. Maybe it's a mentor that was in your life. Maybe it's someone else you discipled and poured your life into. Maybe it's somebody you serve in a ministry with or a Christian brother or sister who prayed with you at an at important moment. Take the time this week to love God's family more. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ more. Love the people of God more. Look at verses, uh, look at John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35 with me for a moment. John, and again, this is in the upper room. Jesus has just finished washing the disciples' feet, and he sits down, and as he sits down to, to interact with them, um, he, he explains that what he's done has been an act of love to wash their grimy feet. This is the night before he's crucified. He could have said, hey guys, this is going to be a rough couple of days for me. <laughs> uh, this is going to be a bad night for me. I need somebody else to wash my feet. But he stoops down in love and even washes Judas, who will leave that very room to betray him. He washes his feet. Look at verse 33 of John 13. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. And, and this is a part of a section in John, the Gospel of John, John 13 through 17, called the Upper Room Discourse. Jesus gives to his disciples the night before he's crucified. He initiates the Lord's Supper there. He shares with them so much of what they're going to need going into the church era and the spreading of the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles. 
He's going to send them out. He's going to promise them that the Spirit of God is going to come upon them to empower them to take the good news of who he is and why he came and what he did to the ends of the earth. And so he says, I've got to help you understand this, and I'm going to be leaving, and I'm going to send you guys out. Verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, those are familiar verses, and often we know the concepts to familiar verses, but we tend to forget and fail to apply those verses and put them into practice in our lives. Think about this for a moment. He's talking to his disciples. He's about to leave them. He says, I've got a new commandment, guys. Remember, we looked at last week, he talked about the first great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, and then love your neighbor as yourself. He was repeating the Old Testament. He said, he said this is the core of what the commandments are all about. Now he's going to say, I have a new commandment. I believe this new commandment, he slips in between love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. He's going to say, we're to love the family of God, the people of God more. And as we love God and then we love each other within the body of Christ, sacrificially, selflessly caring for others, and we really love them, getting beyond ourselves and our expectations and our, our evaluations, and we say, I'm going to love those people who know Jesus. I'm going to love them more every day. That is going to be so incredible, that love within the family of God, that the outside world is going to look and say, how do those people who come from all different kinds of backgrounds they have different perspectives on life and the world. They're different ages. They're different, they're different ethnicities. They're different skin colors. They're different socioeconomically. They've got different levels of education. They have different political perspectives. How do those people love each other? And let me tell you, if the church of Jesus Christ would truly love one another, like Jesus commanded his disciples to do in John 13, and a command that applies to us, the polarization in our country would come to an end because the body of Christ would show love for one another in such a way that the world around us looking in would long to have what the body of Christ has. That's what Jesus was saying. What he was saying was something incredibly radical. These men sat back from this table where they've, they, 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 they will experience this Lord's Supper together, this, this space where he's washed their feet, this dinner they're having this night, uh, this night of Passover, and they are stunned with his words. How am I going to love him? How am I going to love him? I don't like him. I've never been in a room with somebody who has his views because I can't stand them. That was among these 12. So what he's calling them to was something intense, something radical, something that would cost them. It would take effort and humility. And oh, how we need that kind of love in the body of Christ in the American church. It starts right here in Calvary Community Church in our love for one another. What is Jesus saying? Well, in loving the people of God more, there are a couple things we have to understand. Loving other believers is never optional. Loving other believers is never optional. That's the first thing. He says, a new command I give you. A new command I give you. This is a command. It's not an option. I have people say to me, well, I know, Pastor, I'm supposed to love that person in my small group, but I just can't do it. Because I know their background, or I know where he used to work, or I know this about him, and this is, I can't love him. Jesus loves him, and Jesus says, you're to love him. 
It's not optional. It's a command. Jesus said the greatest obedience we show him, the greatest love we show him is when we walk in obedience to his commands. Here's a command about loving others in the body of Christ. Secondly, loving other believers will seem impossible. It'll seem impossible. He says, love one another. Now these guys look around going, I'm telling you, I can't love that guy. Two apostles that are fairly unknown, one that is completely unknown, Simon the Zealot, and then there's Matthew, from whom the gospel is named, Matthew the tax collector. Now in all the lists of disciples, it'll say Matthew or Levi the tax collector, and then it will say Simon the zealot. And we read that in our 21st century understanding of the world, and we go, oh, that's nice. Oh, Simon the zealot, Matthew the tax collector. But when you understand the culture, this is far beyond, you know, Matthew the Republican and Simon the Democrat. This is far beyond that. This gets to the extremes of saying, you know, this one who's a fascist and that one who's a communist. This one who is Antifa and this one who is QAnon. And this one who's a nationalist and this one who is a traitor. The language is used here about these two disciples is something we don't see and understand. These two come from, from perspectives that totally hate each other. See, Matthew, the tax collector, he loves Rome. He's become rich off Rome because he collects their taxes for them. He's seen as a traitor. He's betrayed his people, the nation of Israel. He's helping the oppressor, but he's gotten wealthy. He's got their protection. Nobody can touch him. He can charge whatever he wants for taxes. He can keep whatever he wants. This is like Zacchaeus was, the, the little man who climbed the tree to see Jesus. He too was a tax collector. He too had been cheating people. They were hated by the Jews, but loved by the Romans. And he's in the group of disciples? Then Simon the Zealot, you see, Zealots so hated Rome and their leadership that they even rejected the Jewish leadership. Uh, they were a bit like the anarchists. And they were, they were willing to do anything to destroy Rome. And so to kill a Roman soldier who's just standing on a corner was considered an act of allegiance to God and to Israel. If you disobeyed everything and you just did whatever you wanted to do, you could kill Romans. Anybody who said they were a Roman citizen who was not Jewish, you could kill them and their life was worth nothing because they hated everything about Rome. They claimed to be pure in their understanding of Israel and its standing in the world. Now these two are pretty extreme. Rome can do no wrong. I will kill any Roman I can possibly kill at any time. And when they debated political views, the tensions they had were far beyond most of the debates we've seen in the rifts in our polarization in our culture today. So when Jesus says, love one another, we kind of go, oh yeah, I love each other. That's nice. That's sweet. That's kind. That, you know, we kind of see, you know, little, you know, uh, stars and rainbows and all kinds of, you know, cotton candy. And it's just kind of, no, 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 this was serious stuff. This was, this was nose to the grindstone. This was hard work for them to love one another. He's saying, I'm leaving, guys. And they look and they say, hey, the only reason I'm in this group is because of you, Jesus. And you say you're leaving and you say that we're to love each other. You're commanding us to do that. And then you're going to tell us that we're to love those other people in this group the, the way you love me. And you're telling me then that that's the way the world is going to know we're truly your followers. Couldn't there be some other way? 
Loving other believers will seem impossible. They're gonna be believers, people in your small group, people on your ministry team, people you worship with, people you pray with, people you serve with who it's gonna be hard for you to love. Someone has put it this way, our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy, whether or not they meet our expectations, whether or not we value them enough to love them. We love them because Jesus commanded us to love them. It's gonna seem impossible. You gotta love the people of God more. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you, convicting you of people you've said, I won't love that person because of their political views? I won't love that individual. And I have people say, oh, I'll love them, but I'm not gonna stand being with them. No, this is a proactive, get in their lives and show them love. It's not, okay, I'll love them by ignoring them or standing at a distance from them or leaving this small group or leaving this gathering because they just can't stand it. No, you love intentionally, sacrificially, proactively as Christ loved you. Thirdly, when you love the people of God more, the brothers and sisters in Christ within his family, You'll understand that loving other believers is something you do no matter what others do. It's something you do no matter what others do. Now, this is that part that says one another. A lot of people say, well, you know, this is I love you, you love me, and this is equal. No, this is the idea at the root of this in the, in the original Greek is the idea, I love you whether you love me or not. You love me whether I love you or not. It's not like I'm going to be nice to you because you've been nice to me. So I'm going to be a little nicer to you because you've been a little nicer to me. No, this is I am going to love you because Jesus told me to love you with his kind of love, sacrificially, selflessly, even though I may not like you, even though we come from a very different background, we see the world extremely differently. I'm going to proactively engage and love you. And you on the other side should be following the direction of the Holy Spirit to love me no matter what as well. Then we love one another. Not, okay, I'll wait for you to love me, then I'll love you. This is not some playground debate or complaint to a teacher at recess where, you know, well, he didn't love me, so I didn't love him. She didn't love me, so I didn't love her. We proactively love. And then you go back to 1 Corinthians 13 and see God's definition of love, especially there in verses four through eight. It's that kind of love he calls us to, to utilize. Matthew 5, 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? See, he uses the tax collectors to say, those people who are so bad and so sold out to Rome, aren't they even like that? That they will love another tax collector. It's easy to love the people, it's easy for you to love. And we do that so much. And I see in our polarization in our country that it's reflected in the church that we choose to be around and love the people that we feel like we can love rather than loving people because Jesus told us to love them and because he first loved us. Loving other believers can only happen, fourthly, if you love them like Jesus loved you. It can only happen if you love them like Jesus loved you. Notice verse 34, the second half there in John 13. Jesus said, yeah, a new command I give you, love one another. And then he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Holy smokes, this is a high bar. How much should God love us? He sent his son. How much should Jesus love us? He left heaven's glory as God the son came and walked in human flesh among us. He was innocent and yet he allowed the very beings he created in his own image to spit upon him, to mock him, to hang him as a common criminal. He suffered the agony of the cross. He was buried. 
And then he conquered the grave. Why? Because he loves us. He wants to set us free from our sin through the forgiveness that's ours because of what he did on the cross. He wants to give us new life, new hope, a new relationship with God because of his resurrection from the dead for us. Let me say, if you haven't come to that point where you understand how much Jesus loved you and, and where you come to that place and say, God, I get it. I cannot rescue myself. I can't make myself have an, a relationship with you. I put my faith in Jesus. If you haven't come to that point, do so today. Receive the love that Jesus has shown you. Receive the love gift that God has given you in his son and what he did for you on the cross. We'd love to help you in your walk. You can text the name Jesus to the number on the screen below me here. If you just text that name, we'll, we'll send you a video of encouragement. We'll send you resources. We'll have someone on our team follow up with you. But my prayer is that as we talk about God's love tonight, this weekend, that you will embrace his love in your own life as you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Child of God, are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ with this proactive, others-oriented, selfless love like Jesus loved you? You say, well, that's a high bar. That's the bar Jesus gave. Not the, the bar Sean gave. It's the bar Jesus gave. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Love originates from God. He's the, the creator of love. It's, it's a part of his being. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. One of the realities that you have true, others-oriented, selfless, sacrificial love that comes from God is then, and that you know God is that you love others because God himself is love. It's a very, the very being of God is love, and the love he shows us, he then wants us to extend to others. Someone has put it this way, love others so radically that they wonder why. <laughs> Have you ever loved someone so much that they say, why is this person loving me this way? Maybe make it your goal each, this, each day this week to love someone to the point that they say, why is she loving me? Why is he loving me? Why did they write me that note of encouragement? Why are they trying to lift me up? Why are they there for me right now? Love other believers. Loving other believers can only happen if you love them like Jesus loved you. Loving other believers shows the world we are the genuine followers of Christ. Loving other believers shows the world around us that we are the genuine followers of Christ. It's not the shape of our buildings. It's not the style of our worship. It's not the great spirituality. It's not the biblical worldview. It's not any of those things. It's the love we show to each other that is so radical and so distinct and can only happen by those who are born again. They have the life of God in them. They have the Holy Spirit within them. They have the ability to truly love. And when they truly Love, as God calls them to love, these followers of Christ have something the world says, I gotta have that, I gotta be in that, I gotta experience that, I gotta be there. That's the kind of love we need to be showing one another here at Calvary. That's the kind of love we need to be showing in our small groups, in our ministry teams, our prayer times. This is the kind of love we need to be communicating in our emails, in our online conversations. I think a lot of us need to just step back and evaluate what we say in person, what we post online and evaluate it according to 1 Corinthians 13, four through eight, evaluate it according to the command of Jesus to love one another as he has loved us. 
so the whole world can know we are the followers of Jesus. And when they know that, guess what? They're going to want to be a part of it. When they, they start coming, they start asking you about, what is this? Why do you love that person when they're so different from you? When they're in a different political party, they have a different perspective. You say, that's because of the love God has shown me. I show them and they show me. It's only Jesus. And then those folks come to Christ. They experience his love. They know his hope. Can I encourage you this week? So just list five people. Maybe right now, just write down or think of five people in your life who are maybe hard for you to love. Maybe you've not been able to love them. Maybe, maybe they're easy. Maybe they're hard. Just put five people down and proactively, selflessly, sacrificially find ways to say something, do something, give them something, step into their life and love them. Some of you say, well, I'll do it for 20. Just five. Some of you say, oh, I don't know if I have five people that I know that I could love. Look for five people this week that you could love. This week, we posted something about the continuing project of generations on our Facebook. And Hannah Snoots, who is a single mom with two daughters that have intellectual and physical disabilities, wonderful young women and and they've been a part of our church family a couple of years now i'm all excited because i've seen the order of worship for our thanksgiving service this wednesday night november 25th we'll be posted online at 7 p.m testimonies from a lot of folks in the church great music and hannah sings a solo in there she's used her voice for god and worship and in specials for years and and they weren't a part of our church family a couple of years ago hannah and uh her her two daughters emma and angelina uh, but uh, they came to Calvary, and she posted this on our, our um, Facebook this week. It just stuck out to me, and I just want to share that because this is a testimony of you who are part of our special needs ministry, of you who are part of our church family. She wrote, I started attending Calvary after I went through a very difficult time in my life. I never expected to find a family when I started attending. I expected them to do a great job taking care of my girls with special needs, seeing as they had an amazing special needs department. What I didn't expect is for them to want, all caps, to see my girls, to be excited when I showed up every Sunday with my girls. I didn't expect them to make my girls a priority. Calvary has cared and done more for my girls than those who are supposed to care for them. They love my girls because they want to not because they have to. They go above and beyond to give them the very best. In the middle of a pandemic, they continued to build a state-of-the-art area for, my, for girls like mine. The pastors, especially Gina, Gina Spivey, and the rest of the incomparable staff and volunteers made my girls a priority. They don't just use their megachurch status to be a megachurch. They use it to create a state-of-the-art place for my girls to come and be strengthened week after week. They don't just get on social media and preach about doing good. They do way more than they even talk about. They are more than a gift to my girls. And I, they're more than a gift to my girls and I. They are like family. Thank you, Calvary Community Church, for being such a bright light in some of the darkest times of my life and the lives of so many families like mine. I'm eternally grateful for you all. You see, we need to step into the lives of others in our lives. We need to step into the lives of the people of God and love them more. What I love about what she wrote is, it's just what we're seeking to be at Calvary. We want to live in love like Jesus. The greatest demonstration of who Jesus is is when we love others selflessly, sacrificially, giving to them not thinking about ourselves. I'm so thankful for 
Gina and all who serve in our special needs ministry. I'm thankful for those who serve in all the different ministries at Calvary. I hear this from folks in different areas where they expected one thing and they were met with love and kindness. That's what we need to be about. Maybe God's speaking to you. Maybe God is speaking to you about some areas where you haven't been loving to a brother and sister or sister in Christ. Maybe you haven't been loving your family, your neighbors, your friends more and more every day. You need to be. Don't, don't settle for an average love. Love others with a Christ-like love. Are you constantly seeking to love people more? I've been convicted preparing this message this week. I hope the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Let's seek to love people more every day. How and why can we do that? Because Jesus has loved us and commanded us to love others so others will see Jesus in us and know that we are his followers. Find those five people. Love them radically this week. Father, help us when we want to be selfish, when we have our expectations, we want people to fit our mold. Even in the church, they gotta be this, they gotta be that, they gotta think this way, or I gotta confront them all the time, or I gotta judge them, or I gotta talk about them. I pray that you would help us to back off and do what Jesus did, to love unconditionally, selflessly, sacrificially, putting other people first. Oh Lord, may, may that be true in my life. May that be true in my home. May that be true in our church. May we love one another in the body of Christ here at Calvary in such a way that the world around says, what's happening there? What's going on? Thank you for Hannah. Thank you that because of the way she's been loved here, she's had the freedom to be involved in our worship and she'll be a part of the, this, with this special in the Thanksgiving service Wednesday night. Thank you, Father, for the way in which you've loved us and you send us to love each other. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This song reminds us that the world will know we are Christians, followers of Christ, by our love. <laughs>